Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. An Erio's original. I'm sort of a, a hallucinogen nerd. It's kind of like like somebody's going to... You're in line to get into the Enlightenment nightclub and someone takes your hand and they just let you in for 10 minutes and then you have to leave. Uh-huh. But you get to go in for a minute. Because again, the way I grew up, it was sexuality was shameful. You know, I still sometimes feel ashamed about things and I have to kind of shake my head out. You know, I kind of have to like slap myself out of it and be like, yo, that's not reality. It's taking over my dreams, waking me out of my sleep. I think I'm coming apart. Welcome to The Margaret Cho. This is Margaret Cho. Today we're speaking to the legendary, really, really funny, really cool Pete Holmes. Yeah, coming out of the dark. Oh. This couch is oh. uncomfortable for a big man. You're a little woman. I know. <laughs> this is like a shoe for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you want to move to the other? There's a couch no. behind you. There are a lot of couches There's in quite here. a lot. Do you do psychedelics? Mm, I used to, but it, that it shows. It does, yeah. There's <laughs> no, because everything kind of falls apart, and you can put it all on the floor and make like a big giant bed for twenty people. Yeah, I hear. I feel that. That's. I mean, this the the house is basically for uh, people who would take Molly. Yeah. But I don't. But that, that I mean that's my aesthetic. Are you a Sobe person? Yeah. Sobe Sobes. green tea. Soaps. Soaps green tea. I'm so soby soby. <laughs> I'm soby too, but I take psychedelics sometimes. Oh, okay. Is that weird? No, no, no. It's that's part like of my a, religion. That's a Bill Hicks. Yeah, it's a Hicks. Yeah, it is. That he is did Bill mushrooms Hicks. before he drank. Yeah. 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 And um, I think he did them quite towards the end of his life because he was still sober, but he yeah. would do hallucinogenics because he was he was dying. Well, Bill W, the big book guy. Yeah. I believe he was pretty vocal, but it didn't get any traction that he thought there was something to do with taking psychedelics. Please don't take my word for it, especially mm-hmm. if you're struggling with alcohol. Please don't just listen to what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But he thought there was something to do in liberating yourself from an addiction mm. and psychedelics. There certainly has been some evidence of that. Yeah. Ketamine has helped people get uh, off depression and oh, also yeah. off of heroin, I believe. Right. And when the point is, all I can say with authority is that when I did mushrooms for the first time, without trying, I just didn't drink for a, a month or two or something mm-hmm. like that, just because I had uh, tasted what I was looking for. Right. <laughs> it, and it wasn't more psychedelics. It wasn't like I was like, I want to do just psychedelics. Yeah. I didn't do psychedelics for at least a year after I did them the first time mm-hmm. or so. But I didn't want to drink and it was because I had felt... Um, I don't know, like there was an awakening to them and like a, and a serenity that I got from doing them that I didn't mm. feel like I had to tamp myself down with alcohol all the time. Yeah, that's you know good. Yeah. So it's that's good. why I still do them. I mean, I think that's <laughs> definitely, I think it's, it's definitely like, um, hallucinogenics are good for those who are seeking and who are, uh, you know, open to whatever. I mean, I think that's. Have you ever done DMT? No. That's super weird. You did it? Yeah. I took one hit of DMT once, but you're supposed to do three. Mm. I did one because mm-hmm. I wanted to microdose DMT. So I have microdose oh, okay. DMT. Okay. Um, but what was your... I'm so interested. Um, I was with two guys who were a couple, gay couple. and This um, is very on brand. On brand. Absolutely. <laughs> and so then um, we each did it separately. Because, you know, so. they used to talk, do it about... It takes about two or three minutes to, for your trip to be completed. Pretty I thought much. it was 15 minutes. Well, it seemed to be shorter for, I don't know, but it felt longer. Yeah. But I don't think it was as long as 15. Well, that's the scary thing about DMT is some people smoke it and they just live an entire life as a Native American. For that, for yeah, that they, you know, they can't stop. 
you know, no, I, I can't step. They don't come back. They don't come back. Or, to, in their perception. Like, mm -hmm. I mean that. Like, people feel like they li lived an entire life. Mm -hmm. I have a friend who smoked DMT, and he says, I have more memories from that trip than I do my own life. Mm. Because he had such a long experience. A long experience. experience. But, and it's so uh, bizarre, because yeah. it pulls you out of all of reality yeah. in every way. For me, it was very visual. So mm -hmm. um, one of my friends married his boyfriend in the, the few minutes that he was high. The other one died and went to hell yeah. and came back. I've heard that. And then I um, was talking with them while I was high and uh, they both turned into giant um, like cabbage roses cabbage. and their heads turned into giant blossoms and their oh. necks became vines and then they were really 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 giant wow. like uh several hundred feet in the air mm. i'm just watching their heads grow and grow and grow wow. and um then as they as they as they sort of went went on their growth pattern i started to become a little bit less high and then as i get get the kind of like was less high they became normal again that's interesting that's not like any DMT trip I've heard of. Yeah. And I'm not saying that to disqualify. No, no, I'm no, saying no, no. It's just I've heard a lot weird. of people have a lot of different experiences. Yeah. I've heard the hell one before, too. Yeah. People are like, I went on a bad journey. I think that's very interesting. It seems common, <laughs> the hell thing. Yeah, well, I mean, hallucinogen, uh, their mind manifesting. I believe that's what... It, the, maybe not hallucinogen means, but it might be what it means. I, I, one yeah. of the words for them means they manifest what's in your mind. So you're right. going to get a pretty good glimpse at some of your dark stuff if you have it. Yes. So yeah. I have a greenhouse, I guess, in my mind. Yeah. Something like that. Yours is lovely. Like growing a garden and then other people have a hellscape. Yeah. And this is why your life is so lovely. Yes, <laughs> it is. But now, did you when you do hallucinogens, where where is a comfortable place for you to do them? Do you do them... At home? I'm, that's a nice question. I, I have a lot of very strict... I'm sort of a, a, a hallucinogen nerd, mm -hmm. meaning I don't do them very often. Mm -hmm. I do do them very... I, I'm gonna, I would say ceremoniously, meaning deliberately. Mm -hmm. I don't mean I'm literally like burning incense or ringing bells necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, but I do do them with a lot of intention. Yeah. It's not... I've never done it at a party. I never would do it at a party. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend anyone do it at a party. I would recommend... I like what you said, seeking... Um, they're like tools. They're guides. I, yeah. I had a, a Timothy Levitch on my podcast. He's the guy from the movie The Cruise. Did you ever see the documentary The Cruise? No. Oh, you got to see it. It's so good. Yeah. Um, there's so many to see. But he, he called them tour guides. He was like, oh, wow, they're mm. great tour guides. And I was like, yeah, that's, that sounds about right. So my rules for hallucinogens are always um, do it with somebody that you, ideally that you love very much, mm -hmm. but at the very least someone you're comfortable crying or throwing up in front of. That's just a good mm. test. Yeah. Not that you're going to cry or throw up, but that you want to be comfortable enough with them that if you did, that would be fine. Yeah. It's a good test. Yeah. I've never cried or thrown up on hallucinogens, mm -hmm. but that you don't want to be with somebody that you're trying to impress because you oh. might end up twisted like a pretzel on the ground, like looking at a, a frog or something. And you're just like, <laughs> you want to feel safe. Right. And right. Um, I usually do it with like a three day thing, one day to acclimate to where you're going to do it, one day to do it in the morning because I like the light, the sun to be out. Mm. And then one day, because every time you do it, I did it not that long ago, and the day after is usually pretty foggy. Yeah. You you don't want to have work the next day. Right. You also don't want anything in your pockets. I just have tips. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wear, wear like a soft pant, nothing in your pocket. You don't want your phone on you. You don't want your wallet. Right, you don't right. Want to, and you don't want anything coming up that you need to be on Earth for, because you might leave Earth for a little while. Right. But I've, I've, I've gotten a little bit um, into smaller doses. Um, the the big ones that you're talking about plant head people stuff can be valuable I, for sure but <clears throat> small doses can really just sort of lower your inhibitions lower your attachment to self and allow you to enjoy the vividity the vividness of mm. the present moment yeah. which is really a valuable thing they're sort of like a shortcut to what I would consider is an experience you could get from deep meditation mm -hmm. um, but it it's kind of like the schmucks like somebody's going to, you're in line to get into the enlightenment nightclub and someone takes your hand and they just let you in for 10 minutes and then you have to leave. But uh -huh. you get to go in for a minute. Yeah. And that can be very valuable. That was a big part of my 
journey was the first time I did them. It really opened me to the idea that um, there was something to, I mean, you have a lot of religious imagery or mm-hmm. at least spiritual imagery in your house. And yes. I was like, there's something to it. And yeah. it, uh, not just a dogma, not just a doctrine, not just something to believe, to uh, be right and other people are wrong. But there's something that all of these things are trying to point to mm-hmm. that's very experiential. Mm-hmm. And it's really fundamentally about what is it that is experiencing anything. Yeah. And and that really sort of opened me back up to that, which is mm. invaluable to me. I think that's really, yeah, it is profound. And it's really, I mean, yeah, so many people use, uh, I guess, drugs for like music festivals, but you're not talking about that. <laughs> uh, the first time I did it, it was at... Um, Bonnaroo. Oh gosh. But yeah. that was just that was just a fluke. I would never do that again. But that was the first time I did it. Yeah. I wrote about that in, in my book and it was Reggie Watts and Amy Schumer and Kurt Braunohler and me and my girlfriend. I didn't mention her by name, but it was me and Jamie Lee. Um and some and they were just like, Oh, it's sort of like weed or something. They said it was like weed. And mm-hmm. I had barely even done weed at that time. Yeah. I grew up very religious, so I was kind of square. Mm-hmm. And then th- these are the bullet points. And then my wife left me and then I sort of Went wild, but wild in the way that is normal for a comedian. It wasn't even that wild. Yeah. The joke I say is that like I would, I thought I was on a bender because I was at a bar in New York at one in the morning, uh-huh. and I was like, "Did everyone's wife leave you? Like, why are you all out?" But it was just like what young people were doing. Right. I was twenty eight when my wife left me. That's still mm-hmm. very young. Yes. Yeah, I'd already young. been married and divorced. So then they just said it's fun. It like makes everything fun. They didn't mm-hmm. really. If I was going to tell someone to take mushrooms, I would talk to them for four hours. Mm-hmm. It's almost better that they didn't. It's like the first time the Beatles took LSD, uh, they were dosed by their weird German artist friend. They just put LSD in their oh, drinks. Yeah. And then they were like, just so everybody's nice and calm and relaxed, just know we put LSD in your water oh. because we didn't want you to overthink it. And, oh. and for me at Bonner, it was similar, mm-hmm. meaning they were just like, it's fun. And mm-hmm. then I took it and I was like, this is more than fun. It's not like Molly, you mentioned Molly or MDMA. Mm-hmm. That I would say is probably just more potentially fun or yeah. or weed might just be more fun. LSD is not a recreational drug. No, no. <laughs> I mean, it can I, be. It can be, but I, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't say it would, it would be. It's very confrontational. It is. And it's, <laughs> well, it, it manifests whatever you're kind of thinking about anyway right it wants to have a word with you yes (laughs) that's not i mean don't get me wrong some of the best days of my life have been days where i took one of these plants or medicines or whatever and they were incredible but it wasn't like like i i don't drink anymore but like alcohol is a guaranteed experience more or less like it's going to make you feel a certain way probably every time every time you take a, a psychedelic pretty different from the last time like it's never yeah it's never really the same and it, and like i said it wants it it wants to communicate something to you right and you sort of have to learn how to listen to it it's yeah i think i remember well i remember being with amy schumer at bonnaroo when she was high on mushrooms it might have been the year that we did year. It. Mm-hmm. maybe i think you were there 2012 something like that 2011 it was right around then something like that that's right yeah because i was with uh uh, Reggie too but not high I don't remember him being high but I remember Amy being high yeah so yeah that was probably the year yeah it's a hot year to be there it, it was, was it was very hot and um, oh I thought you meant hot like a good year to be there well it was also a good year to be there because <laughs> Gwar was there Gwar Gwar and uh, I uh, I saw um, who did I see of Montreal mm-hmm. and I saw um, I saw a lot of people Bruce uh, Springsteen was there that year I think yeah I think yeah because I remember when I was coming down, I, I I saw Bruce Springsteen and or I was walking by Bruce Springsteen. Ooh. But all I remember was that I like on stage, I wasn't near him, mm-hmm. and I was eating food. And I remember, it's actually kind of the beginning of me maybe realizing that I had like uh, not the healthiest relationship with food, which is something that I'm coming to terms with just now. I'm mm-hmm. 40. There's all this stuff. I, I I've been alive for four decades, and there's no shortage of little nooks and crannies in your psyche to explore. Mm. And one of the new ones, actually, I'm realizing started then because I was eating the food, and I was like, it's just information. It's just something you need to run. Right. But like, I have such a kind of an addictive personality that like mm-hmm. I've spent so much of my life medicating myself with food or or eating for pleasure mm-hmm. i think it might have even started there i don't know it's weird eating for pleasure yeah and eating even for... though you're full yeah eating even yeah. though you're full which is so normal it's in america normal. it's not even really considered a problem but it kind of it certainly but, is i mean it's kind of 
especially if you don't drink alcohol or, you know... Something else something, can fill in. Yeah, the, the appetite for food can fill in something. Yeah. The, I like the abandon sometimes the real fullness is or abandon that we have about really eating something delicious. Yeah. Or even... Maybe it's not even delicious, but you're getting to the bottom of whatever it is. Yeah, that's interesting. My wife Val said something that changed my life about food. She was like, it's not the pizza. It's the moment you decide to order the pizza, which is this moment of like Mm self-love and anticipation. You think it's Mm self-love and anticipation. You have something to look forward to. Right. You ever get a good look at that feeling where you're like you order something and you're like you sort of. You just want something to look forward to. So the pizza's coming. Yes. And that's sort of the best part. You think it's the yes. pizza. It's really the the thought and the, the knowledge that it's coming. It's coming. So you're like, life is good. There's a pizza coming. Yeah. And then the pizza comes. And that's one of the best feelings in the world. Yes. Is the doorbell ringing. Yes. And then going down and getting it is one of the best feelings in the world. Yes. And then one of the, the first bite is one of the best feelings in the world. Right. But then the rest is just chasing the dragon. Like right. I'll eat the whole pizza just trying to get back to the feeling of the first bite of the pizza. Right. Which is what addiction is. It, doesn't, it is. Which I'd like to reclaim. It doesn't have to be so uh, exclusive. I think a lot of us are dealing with addiction on different levels. Right. Is what I'm trying to I'm trying to welcome people who are listening and just be like, you can have addictive tendencies and not necessarily think of yourself or need to be treated as an addict. Right. But you can still acknowledge, like, oh, right, yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Why did I eat that whole pizza? Yeah. <laughs> Or, you know, because I wanted that last piece to taste like the first bite, and it yeah. never does. Because it is chasing the dragon, yeah. chasing whatever that is, that That's feeling. Right. That I mean, whatever yeah. you need is out there is a very mm. dangerous belief. And it's a constant with everything, whether it's just, I mean, shopping in any way, mm-hmm. um, or even relationships in any way. Love, power. Mm-hmm. I'm watching, we, we live in LA. Uh, power addiction is huge. Mm-hmm. I see people, I don't know if you do this, I see people who have incredible careers not in a jealous way i just look at like somebody really really big Mm -hmm. and they never do with it what i feel like they could or should do with it (laughs) yeah i do the same thing with like jeff bezos at amazon i'm Uh like if you have a hundred billion (laughs) dollars a year company just for you why not be the most ethical beautiful like gorgeous forward nobody does that so I can't put that standard to him. Mm-hmm. People don't even do it when they have incredible film careers. They're just sort of like chasing the... Yes. I think they want a PA with a shaking hand handing them a cup of coffee. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they want it. Yeah. They might not even know that they want it. Yeah. Because it's not just like... Not everybody's... Just, like I, I... Some of the people that I admire are like Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. um, Noah Baumbach. Mm-hmm. They're, they're good examples. The Duplass brothers. Mm-hmm. These are people that seem to be making art because they want to make art. They, yeah. they want to make the next great thing. They want mm-hmm. to express the next true thing that they of have course. to share. Yes. And then there's a lot of other people that are just getting fucking affirmation enemas blown up their... Right. <laughs> right. I was going to say twats, but I don't know what an enema is, I guess. I just mean like they just want to constantly be orgasming in the aren't I special way. That's right. what That's what I feel like so much of LA is, is like we're pretending... Like at an award show, I'll pretend you're special. I'll mm-hmm. give you, Margaret Cho, the funniest comedian award. Mm-hmm. Only because I know next year you might give it to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We'll all, we all secretly think we're the most special. Yes. I'm not saying that's for everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm saying this is sort of a problem in our town. But we'll have an award show where we all concede together that you're the most special for tonight. Yes. But we only do it so maybe next year I'll get it. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's like a yeah. shitty kid's birthday party. Yeah. Remember when you were eight and you go to a birthday party? We're like, yes. today we're p- pretending Joey's the most special. Of course. It's basically, what our whole town can be. Mm-hmm. That's why I mentioned Tarantino and Bombback and the Duplass brothers, Greta Gerwig. There's a lot of great examples of people that are just like, nope, I'm here because I because creating and sharing is kind of the most beautiful thing you can do. Yeah, and it's it's wonderful that they do that. Yeah. But there's so much of it that's. I think the majority of it is fueled by. How? Desperate fear of being passed over or forgotten or left behind or yeah something. If you you can't believe the hype, that's what I've noticed. No. And the friends that I've sort of lost to show business are usually the ones that you're like, oh no, yeah, they believe it's that. yeah. It's fun to surf on top of it, of but course, of course, and we like yeah, it. we love the idea of it, and it, you know, and it is it is actually warranted from so many situations. Everybody is really here for a reason and there's a lot of talent and there, there it exists but certainly um there are people that sort of perform out of a terror of being right, left behind yeah. desperation you don't want to do anything out of fear mm-hmm. 
ideally. I think. I think. Oh, shit. I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and say you don't want to do. You don't want to do anything. I mean, you want to prepare for your car to break down maybe, but that's not that, fear. That's, that's not fear. That's just being practical. Yeah. I think I hear what you're saying. Maybe it's an overgeneralization. But given the choice between fear and love, it would be better to do something because you love it. And then be as loving. Oppo- as yeah. opposed to going like, I better do this job or this movie because I'll never get another one. That type of fear is pretty gross. Although what you're representing is valid. And I want you to feel it's heard. I don't know. But I think comedy is a little different because it's harder to do. I think comedy is like harder. It's harder to be a comic, I think, than it is to be like, say, an actor or I don't know. I think I think it's harder. What do you mean? Harder lifestyle or harder to Everything. do the craft? Oh, the I, craft, the um, the well, just think the initial like getting started even mm. you know going and trying to be like funny or trying to figure out who you are as a comedian mm. and trying to start up in like the business of comedy i would disagree with that really yeah very much yeah <laughs> is it easy well because i don't envy an actor mm. any i don't envy even a famous actor i would rather mm-hmm. be a comedian i'd rather be a struggling comedian than like yeah. a an actor who's maybe been in one or two things and really trying to make the next thing happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have clubs and open mics. And right. I, I can go and do a set tonight. Joaquin Phoenix, if he's in the mood to act, mm-hmm. <laughs> what is he going to do? Yeah. If he's lonely on a Tuesday and he That's just feels true. like being creative, what is he going to do? It's true. This is why we have so many unhinged, unstable actors. Yeah. Because no matter what you're doing, or you have healthy actors. I just saw... Who did I see? I saw Ed Harris on Broadway in mm. To Kill a Mockingbird. It was awesome. That's that's somebody getting in touch with their agency and their control over their own careers. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know what? I have enough money. Ed Harris is doing fine. But he's like, I like acting, so he acts. That That's like a comedian instinct. Yeah. But that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. I feel like actors, everybody believes that they secretly, deep down, probably believes that they could act, gun to their head. Yeah. Like your agent probably thinks he could maybe do the part. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because we're yeah. all acting. All, all the time we're acting. Right. People are pretending to be comfortable on a date. People are pretending to be excited to meet their mother-in-law, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So it, there's not a lot of uh, respect for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but comedy, even though it is hard because everybody knows what you're after, they know you're trying to make the crowd laugh. You also can't delude yourself. An actor can delude themselves and be like, I think that was great. Mm. And nobody's going to necessarily tell them that they stink. Yeah. So you're, it's like they say, LA is the only town where you can die of encouragement. Mm. So there are all these people that come and they just suck and I'm sorry, but it's just not in the cards for them. They mm-hmm. don't have it in their bones and nobody tells them. Yeah. Whereas comedians have the benefit of having the most honest That's response true. every night. Yeah. And even if you get lucky and you brought 50 friends and you kill the the real crowd is tomorrow night and they're yeah. going to they're going to set you straight. That's true. That's why I don't envy writers either. They're writing mm-hmm. and they don't know if their shit's good. Yeah. I know if my shit's good, I'll go and do it tonight. Yeah. That's true. It's helpful. It's true. When did you want to be a comedian? I don't want to be a comedian. You know I mean? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but it's like was it like did you were you like a comedy nerd and wanted to watch I mean, I was like a comedy nerd and you I were? would watch SCTV like huh? on reruns and on Nick at Night. You are Canadian. Yeah. I always prefer SCTV over, and probably Kids in the Hall. So that makes me very Canadian. You're very Canadian. Yeah. I I was somewhat of a comedy nerd. Um, I wanted to be a comedian secretly ever since I knew it was a thing. Mm. So when I was in junior high, but I've likened it to coming out of the closet. I I don't want to diminish how hard that is to be a gay person and come out. It's certainly not anywhere near as hard but there is a closeting of your desire to be a comedian right because it's embarrassing it's kind of embarrassing yeah and it and it's threatening to people mm-hmm. again i said that this is something in my book but i said it's a weird thing to come out and tell everyone you think you can be a professional comedian mm-hmm. because you're hanging out with your friends and you're making them laugh on a thursday night and that's like saying you owe me twenty dollars uh-huh. you know I mean? <laughs> it's like that's absurd yeah something everybody thinks they're funny but like some people are funny. Some people, you know, growing up were funnier maybe than I was. But there's a there's a much different co- different cocktail going on that drives somebody to do stand up, I think. Yeah. I don't mean dysfunction. I mean like I really need it. Like there's a lot of people that are like, "Oh boy, I I'm going to try it. I, I tried stand up and then I took 3 years off. I've been really meaning to get back into it." 
and I was like, LSD has a message for you. I'm like, comedy has a message for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not a match. It's okay. Yeah. Like, you don't have to force that. Maybe there is something that's a match. Maybe you have a great book in you or a great album or something. Yeah. But, like, chances are if you did stand-up for a couple years and then just took a huge break, I don't want to be too general, but, like, every uh, most – I'm going to say everybody that I know that does stand-up um, needs it to a certain extent. Yeah. It really um, scratched an itch mm-hmm. and filled a hole. Meaning, if I don't do stand up, my wife will notice. We'll be on a date, and I'll have a harder time tuning out the tables next to us. Mm-hmm. I've gotten better. I can do it maybe once a week now, and that that's pretty good. Yeah, and it used to be more. Um, but now, if I do it like every every couple weeks, even it'll just calm me down and take a certain yeah. edge off. And if you don't have that edge, why would you subject yourself? To that level of humiliation and pain. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Because you want to be famous? Fuck Mm-mm. off. Anybody that got into stand-up to be famous, they quit. Anybody right. that got into stand-up to be rich, they quit. <laughs> and everybody that got into stand-up that got rich and famous did it because, for, with a few exceptions, but they did mm-hmm. it because they they had to. Well, and we it just didn't so have happened. a choice, yeah. That's right. And, and it just so happened that the values of our culture and your talent set yeah. lined up. Yeah. It could have been like, if we were great listeners, we'd be mm-hmm. rich and famous. But it just yeah. so happens that we... Like blowhards. <laughs> but it's good. It's good to... I mean, what is the longest time you've gone without doing stand-up? Since I started? Um, that's a great question. I would say it's probably two weeks or so. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. Maybe maybe three weeks. I, yeah. I, I'm sort of bad with time. I, yeah. But I, think, I can't yeah. think of a time when I went on... That's a long time. ...vacation longer than two weeks. Yeah, two weeks or three weeks. I mean, it, it makes me nervous too. Like if I think about it like, oh, I haven't done it. So, and then I feel really weird. Yeah, you start feeling bad. Yeah. And then you know what happens is I start reverting to junior high Pete. And then like at a party, I'll, I'll just catch myself like bogarting the conversation or, uh-huh. or trying out a thought. Like yeah. I have this urgency that's really good. It's why we have podcasts. That's why it's natural for me to have a podcast. Like I sort of need that yeah. outlet, not just to ring my own bell, but I want to like connect with people and talk. Of course. And, and with stand up, it's not just... People think stand-up is so narcissistic, but I'm also paying acute attention to the audience. It, yeah. it, it's going both ways. Of course. It's this heightened state where I'm listening to them and they're listening to me. It's not just like worship me. It, it's almost more it's more like lovemaking. It really is, and that like a good comedian should be attending to their every nuance. Yeah. And not just doing their act at them. Yeah. They're they're finding them mm-hmm. and they feel seen at the end of it. Yeah. That's why my favorite moments are if if you lose them or I can feel them backing away. I love just saying like I feel you guys backing away. Yeah. And proving to them that I'm in the room because that's what makes live comedy so special. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. Are there anybody that your favorites? Who's your favorites to watch? Favorite comedians? Mm-hmm. I love Rory Scovel. Have you had him on? Mm-mm, no. He's incredible. Do you know him? Mm-hmm. He's yeah, great. He's incredible. Yeah. I love Rory. I love my my opener right now is Lara Bites, and she's fantastic. Um, you might not know her yet, but people should check her out. She's mm. wonderful. Yeah. But I don't like. I don't. I don't say this to be uh, elitist or anything. I, I'm not like a huge enjoyer of stand up. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes <laughs> I see people, and I'm just so excited. Like I love uh, Brent Weinbach. Yeah, I love Brent Weinbach. I'm like great choice. What? is happening but i don't know but i need to know and i rarely get that feeling with comic like but every once in a while somebody comes along and i'm like obsessed yeah that's a great choice yeah he's a comics comic and he's an audience's comic you know there's a lot of people that you get called comics comic and sort of code for they only kill with the comics yeah he kills with the crowd and we're all just like what is going on what is that it's the same thing musicians have they don't necessarily like consume a lot of music Mm -hmm. and it's not that it's not that like i sort of got into comedy because i like doing comedy yeah you know what i mean it's not that i got into comedy because i watch everybody's special Mm -hmm. it's if I watch somebody special, it will stick with me for a long time. And just like doing Sudoku or something, I'll start kind of like rewording their jokes mm-hmm. or rearranging it. It's just it's just like a musician listens to a song and they're like, oh, I might have done a bridge before that yeah. pre-chorus. And, that, and so it's not like a recreational activity mm-hmm. for me to watch somebody. Yeah. I threw on Jenny Slate's special just to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. Yeah. But they did something different with that. Gary Gullman's the same way. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed those because they weren't normal specials. But usually I'll watch somebody special just to sort of get a feel for it. Yeah. 
maybe 20 minutes Mm -hmm. and then it's not out of disrespect i'm not like well that's enough of this shit i i just i got it i just wanted to kind of stay in the know what are people doing yeah i also don't want their premises and their punchlines floating around in my brain yeah of course i don't don't need them ruining scorching the earth on a premise (laughs) yeah yeah i want the comedian to be different from me yeah and if you're doing a bit that is something that i could do that's why like hedberg was great i wasn't going to go around doing Hedberg jokes yeah and so and Bill Burr I really love Mm -hmm. because I'm not gonna do that sometimes I'll write a joke and I'll be like if as if in a million years if I tried to give Bill a a premise it'd probably kick me in the nose but like you're like wow if I had the the edge to get away with saying something like that Mm -hmm. but the um yeah Mitch Hedberg was uh, was funny because of how meticulous he was about his uh he always had those mini tape recorders and these little like tiny cassettes banging all, all around like a messenger bag uh, and just walking around and it was just, like the clack of these like plastic cases mm. like knocking against each other and it was these little cassettes with all of his small, small jokes like clacking mm-hmm. in there. I just remember that sound. Little jokes, little tapes. Yeah, like clacking everywhere and he was so, like somebody you would never think would record anything. Right. He recorded every tiny little thing. Oh, I would have believed that he recorded it. I don't know why. It just it it sounds right for a one-liner guy yeah. because I feel like your whole job as a one-liner person is to try and remember 700 jokes. So many. I go up and I'm trying to remember 15 topics. They're trying to remember 700 jokes. It's so many. It's a nightmare. It's a lot. And it's um I'm so glad that you made your presence here a gift to me. OMG. <laughs> I'm touched to be here. I'm so glad. Now um The Margaret Cho. The Margaret Cho. What are your socials? What are your socials? Are we done? We're done. I didn't even tell my... You want to tell a story? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I came with no intentions. Good. Um, my socials are Pete Holmes. It's just my name. Everything. Well, I mean, I yeah, Instagram and the Twitters. I think that's everything. I mean, you can like me on Facebook. Good. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Yeah, my pleasure. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. And now we talk to my friend and the writer of uh, the theme song for our podcast, Garrison Star. But I never, like, when I'm on the road, like, I don't work out. Like, I, if yeah, I... what do you do when you're on the road? Nothing. I lay yeah. there. It's hard, because when you're not working, you just want to lay down and I'm just... I'm just tired. Yeah, totally. Or even if I'm not tired, I don't want to do anything. Yeah, I'm the same way. I just want to lay in, on the bed and watch TV or, like, lay mm-hmm. down on the couch and watch TV. Yeah, I have never made, like, a real, like... For some reason, I've never made a real effort to continue my physical training. <laughs> you mean the soul like a bike and the trainer and the... <laughs> yeah. You know, I just never... Yeah. You know... I've it, given up on it too. Like, I've become way more relaxed with myself and just okay. being like, yo, I'm whatever. in my 40s. Some shit just doesn't happen, know. you know? I'm in my 50s. Shut up. I'm 51. Really? I just turned 51. Dude, come on. I know. That's it's what crazy. I'm talking about. You look amazing. Thank you. You really do. Thank you. It feels good. It's a, it's definitely like, um, it is weird to think about, like leaving your 40s to be f- in your 50s, because I yeah. I thought 40s was old. I, oh, I'm, listen, I had a nervous breakdown when I turned 30, mm. and I had a nervous breakdown when I turned 40. I want to take to turn around and slap the shit out of the girl who got upset because she turned 30. I wish I could go back in time and slap her around. <laughs> yeah, because you know? 30 is like well, chi- childhood. So, yeah, I look at people in their early 30s now and I'm like, oh, I wish I could trade places with you. I, I just, you know, I feel so guilty that I spent so much of my 30s thinking that I was a failure and that I'd lo- I had lost, you know what I mean? That I was too old and, no. you know, I think it's part of, but I was kind of 
And it's interesting. I wonder, I mean, you have a lot of stories you could tell about this, I'm sure. But just like the idea of being a female in this industry and how mm-hmm. you don't realize, like, I didn't, re- I never thought of myself as a female for the longest time because mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, I was just as good or better as the boys when we were growing up playing sports. I'm like, yeah. I never thought, well, they're boys, so I can't play. It was always right. like, let me in there. Like, give me that bat, you know? Yeah. And I would always be doing everything on the same level. So I never thought of myself as, oh, I'm a female. So yeah. that's why this is happening. Yeah. But I was told by, you know, countless men in the industry in my 20s and early 30s that like, you know, you better get on with it because your time is running out. You know, I mean, Mm. I was told that and that that attitude was definitely there. And it's like, I just get mad when I think about how much I let that seep into my, you know, how I didn't, how I turned against myself at certain times where, because I was working from the outside in, just trying Mm -hmm. to make something work. Or I thought, well, how can I please them? Yeah. Whoever they may be. And you know, I mean, I guess that's how you learn. But it's hard to look it's back hard. at that shit. It's really hard for it's me to sad. look back at it. Yeah. It's sad because it sad. it's like what, you know, or like not appreciating our youth because we felt like, like for me, I didn't appreciate being young because I was so focused on being thin. Like I was so mad at myself for not being like thinner that I couldn't even appreciate being young. And it's like right. so sad to look back at the person I was I get that you know and I I, I'm that. like god you know I wish I gave that kid a break I was so bitter you yeah. know I wish that I, I see that now like how it's so funny because I was just thinking like I don't know I just been working through some old stuff and coming to terms with like how all the anger that I have that mm-hmm. I've had for so long just to, you know about the emotional abuse that I suffered through you know in the fundamentalist Christian community and in the yeah. church and all that stuff I went through I realized like how long I've been carrying that around and not really like there's parts of that that I I want to desperately let go of but I'm still working to like chip away at the chip on my shoulder about yeah. all that stuff and I was thinking about how when I was younger anger served me so well because it kept me going and it knocked down barriers and it kept me from not believing in myself but mm-hmm. then the older that I've gotten, it's like that no longer, now it's something that stands in my way at times for moving forward right. to be able to forgive and let go and make new memories and create new opportunities for myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because we carry those things that don't serve us anymore. I mean, you know, the anger can actually be energizing. It can fuel you and get you to a place that's really creative. Yeah. And, you know, it's like for me, like anger really propelled me out of you know, like just thinking about like what I could do or it gave me the ability to go out and really explore the world. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, that's it's there's a time where you need to le- like let it go. Yeah, totally. And so they can enjoy your life. Well, it's like, was it Elizabeth Gilbert or Brene Brown that talked about how anxiety could is totally fine to come on the trip and they can sit in the back seat, but they're not allowed to drive? Oh, yeah, that's great. I, I can't remember which book I was Sounds reading. Sounds like Brene Brown. I feel like it was Brene, but I, I know I've read books by both of them and they're somewhat similar. You know, I mean, they both have like a similar message of moving forward and, you know, loving yourself. Yeah. And, letting things go. Um, but anyway, that I love that analogy um, of of the anxiety being able to come along. You know how, and just like in Inside Out, that Disney movie, the Pixar movie. Mm-hmm. Did you see that movie? Mm-mm. Where, Mm-mm. well, anyway, the emotions are cartoons and there's, and really at the end of the day, it talks about how sadness is necessary. Yeah. You know, like sadness is not just a bummer who's sitting over here in the corner. Like sadness yeah. has a purpose and it's all, like all the emotions are beautiful and they help yeah. you get to a place where it paints a big picture, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I think that's, I don't know, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. How, yeah. you know, when you're, I don't know, what, where I came from with all the fundamentalist Christianity, how black and white it was. And it was just like, no, we don't feel this. We don't look right. at this. We don't do this. We don't say this. Yeah. We do this. We say this. And it's just like, you know, I mean, I think that because of that, literally there were things that, you know, I wouldn't allow myself to feel or explore because I thought it was wrong. Right. You know, so I feel like in some ways as I get older, you know, those things crop up because they were never really validated Mm -hmm. or explored, you know, or, Mm -hmm. you know, they were shamed. Right. You know what I mean? So I think does it give you like also the like that growing up stifled, you know, like I understand that. Like for me, it gave me something to write about and rebel against in my comedy because it was like oh, I actually do have, like, the fears that they put on me gave me some purpose, like, to fight against, something, a war to fight. I, I just feel like, 
maybe creative people kind of just have that drive to like mm-hmm. explore and create and find and rise up and you know you always want to do better you always want yeah. more you always want this thing and like so I feel like sometimes you know for me I've been working so much on just slowing down mm. and thinking about well what do I you know because I just I've realized like how much I eat and drink and you know, do. And I'm just like, okay, you know, do I want to be eating this? Do I want to be drinking this? Do I want to be saying that? You know, like, what is it that I want to be doing? You know, mm-hmm. how is it that I want to be living? Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. just feel like it's a constant reevaluation. You know, it is for me. It's if I'm not like actively uh, kind of really checking myself on, on like appetites and kind of like habits, yeah. then it can get really out of control. Yeah, I like, agree. Like, you know, like for me, like if I'm drinking alcohol or like whatever, it just gets out of it out of hand and yeah. my appetites just really like spiral out of control. So when I kind of can cut out something like anything like that, then it helps. And then it all of the other kind of th- things kind of fall into s- line yeah you know like um with like food or like with even um dating because I'm a single so (laughs) (laughs) I can like really kind of do a crazy number on myself with like even just talking to people like it's it gets it gets really like like my imagination kind of goes haywire because you're telling yourself stories like what if it's this what if it's that like what if it goes here what if it goes there what if this is happening what if that's happening and like i'm always making up stories yeah i'm like why am i making this up Mm -hmm. (laughs) like why am i making this drama for myself when it really doesn't even matter yeah it doesn't exist well i feel like i do that because of anxiety Mm -hmm. i have such intense anxiety i'm always trying to like guess where it's going to go what my next move and trying to protect myself you know so like i think that's what i part of it you know is just trying to like figure out how to prepare for whatever it might be right you know that's it coming at you it's like like a being kind of a doomsday prepper emotionally which doesn't work in life doomsday prepper yeah i like that it's like that thing it's like there's people who are like trying to prepare for the apocalypse and then they're like stock like stockpiling weapons and food and water but i do that with like possibility of somebody's not going to text me back right (laughs) Right. it's like super dumb like it's like why and it's crazy and if people like really knew that they'd be like you're fucking crazy yeah it's just like a weird thing because i don't know i don't know what that is i don't know like how preparing with all of these imaginated imaginary scenarios is going to help me right it's not and that's the thing we just keep doing it yeah. Everybody does that. It's like a repetitive like action that's almost like a soothing. It's like you're trying to self-soothe yeah. by like terrorizing yourself. <laughs> yeah. Like that's such a weird. It's pretty masochistic actually yeah. if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. It's like I'm trying to self-soothe by panicking about like something that might like the worst case scenario. Yeah. We don't even know what the real worst case scenario well, is. Well, maybe we're just trying to torture ourselves though too. Maybe. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe there's a little bit of that like self-inflicted self-fulfilling prophecy stuff you know yeah like maybe if i, I worry that. about something so Sabotage. bad that maybe it won't happen or like if yeah. i suffer enough by worrying about something it won't happen because whoever like the forces that be will take pity on me because i've already suffered so much <laughs> yeah yeah is that it? the sort of it's kind um, of a thought of, i don't know well that's one thought i mean i don't know it's like the maybe it is also like our own creativity like turned inward and turned against us. I like that. You know, I like that. That's a little bit more hopeful. Yeah. Because it's empowering. Like, your imagination is like powerful because it creates all of these songs and stories and, 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 you know, works of art. But then at the same time, if we're not using our imagination for something productive, then it can go haywire. It can go dark. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of go turn in, turn inward. Yeah. Which isn't, it, it, it doesn't do any good. Agreed. Yeah, I agree with that. So that could be it. Yeah. I don't know when I'm not sort of feeling like my creative sort of thing. Like um, I haven't like, you know, what's weird is I haven't written a song for quite some time. And I feel like part of that is just feeling stifled in my own life and like situations that I'm in and not feeling free. Okay. And now that I am more free, like I live alone, I feel like really solid about that. Like right. now, like, oh, I got a new tuner and I bought some That's new exciting. guitar picks. Oh. So, and I pulled out my Martin. I'm like excited to like go and play See, again. There you go. Yeah. That's but I the needed way to that do space. It. You need that. Yeah. I'm with you. I don't, I've been like, since I've been doing so much collaborating um, with other people, like, you know, over the last several years, I 
just don't get by myself to write as much either. And I mm-hmm. think it, I mean, probably because it's, you know, the writing of it, the writing takes up so much more of my time than it used to. I used to just, you know, write when I felt like it or whatever, but now yeah. I write more regularly. But I have trouble carving that space out for myself too. And I've been trying to figure out, you know, what that is. It's probably not some, you know, it's probably not some profound thing. It's probably like what you said where, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you just get busy and you're busy you know, writing songs to other people. And so yeah. that's what's going on. Or like yeah. you're, you know, or you're playing golf more or whatever. I don't know. You're yeah. doing other hobbies. You're taking maybe a little bit of a, a mental break or a break mm-hmm. from, you know, from that particular part of it maybe. Also, it's like, what do you write about when everything is like not falling apart? Like, yeah. like in the, in before like writing songs in particular, was really about kind of exercising this pain, especially pain of like relationships or like whatever, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And now when that's sort of gone, like what is there to write about? It's a very weird <laughs> space know. to be in. I know it is. It's a common space, I think, for people because, yeah, it's much easier for me too to write about some dramatic story than it is yeah. to just be like, you know, hey, there's a butterfly. That's cool. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Whatever. Just to figure out what that is, like what it is what what is sort of like the dailiness of life that you can write about and a lot of brilliant songs are written about that but like yeah. to me like there's something that's so satisfying about being really upset and then writing a song and then it's like you put it all in the song um or you yeah, something that you're like yeah something that you're feeling rebellious about or you're trying to push up against you yeah know, too. And you put it into there <clears throat> i really resonated with what you were saying about that earlier because i you know especially I mean there's certain records of mine that mark times in my life that were tough and you can hear that in the writing mm-hmm. you know and in the music mm-hmm. so or you can hear like the person that you were when you made the record yeah the angst that was there you yeah know? and that you know how when you like you know before you understood what empathy was before you really understood what forgiveness was before you really understood those concepts you know mm-hmm. and you were just pissed off yeah. And you just wanted to tell somebody how it was without really thinking yeah. about the bigger picture of it all, without mm-hmm. thinking about the context of it. Yeah. You know, I feel like you can, I can hear that, you know? Yeah. And I can understand, like, as I get distance from that time, from that time in my life and that younger person I was with, you know, a little bit more limited perspective than I have now, mm. you know, um, I can see why maybe that message didn't always come through. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. to a broader audience, like it came through to people who were feeling it and people who wanted to be in that place, but might not have come through for other people who weren't in that space and who didn't want to feel that way mm-hmm. or who could pick up just something I've thought about before, you know, like I wonder, yeah. you know, if like, you know, if sometimes the message gets lost, you know, or they attach a different message to, right. you know, they attach their own, their own message to, yeah. which is like, it, you know, it just happens to be set to your words and music. Right. It may not even for them. It might not even be like a, you know, some angsty thing. It could no. be something completely positive. And like, happy and, and loving yeah. and like really, because um, I was thinking about it like, a, so uh, my friend, my really like my best friend, like she uh, died in January of this year. Oh my God. So it was really awful. I'm so sorry. It's really awful. And she and I... Um, did had, I know this person? No, her okay. name was her name is Jerry, and she and I gone to high school together, and you know it was just this sort of like a it's kind of a terrible thing, and she died, and you know, and I was thinking about that song, and I played like so I went to go speak at her funeral and and stuff, and then the whole time I was playing that your song that was whenever you need me, oh brightest star, yeah, yeah, and it was really comforting because I was like you know that could really sort of be her song, you know, oh. you know that whole thing of like. Just being on the air, being in the sky, you know, that, yeah. that now that she's actually just everywhere yeah. is a great feeling. Yeah. So, you know, that song to me was a really a nice companion on that journey of having to, you know, bury my friend. Oh, man. Yeah. So it was really it was really good. So, so I think that like. You know, there is a kind of thing, and so that songs can change their meaning to you over time, and uh, certainly the ones that you've written it will definitely have different meanings to other people. Yeah, that makes sense. It's good. Yeah. Do you have a favorite song that you've written of yours? Mm. That's tough. I like Forty Days. Oh, thanks. I love that one. Yeah. I mean, I love so many of your songs, but that's, that's so funny. I haven't played Forty really, Days in so long. It's I'm gonna have beautiful. To go back and um, I'm just go back and refresh on. It's 40 a beautiful. Days. It's such a beautiful song. I mean, there's so many that I I really love. But I was I always think like 
I wonder what your favorites are. Man, you know, I think probably what my favorites are overall are the ones, I mean, they're probably the ones that are most, the ones I'm like in the middle of at the time. The ones yeah. I'm, it would probably be from like, my favorite song right now would probably be like Downtown Hollywood or The Devil and Me. Like one of the new, one of the songs on the new upcoming record that mm-hmm. we're hope, we're planning to get out next year. Oh yeah, yeah. Maybe in the second quarter. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So it would probably be one of those just because it's the most like, you know, there was the ones that I'm probably the most connected to right mm-hmm. now. You know, the most recent ones. Yeah. Um, but if I had to pick one, like an older one, you know what song I really love is a song called Fireworks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a song that I really love. Yeah. That's an older song that kind of like remains timeless for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I really like that one. And mm-hmm. also Other People's Eyes. Mm-hmm. That was on Amateur. I really love that one, too. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Those are both sad. <laughs> it's, But it's also, but also like there's a, a joy yeah to it too i mean i I never have a sort of think of like your songs as being sad because there's always a very like joyful quality that that's underneath that it is kind of like um there's an independence that is like i'm doing this all by myself you know that (laughs) that that, that kind of comes through even though even if you're singing even even if there's other instruments on the track and stuff there's this kind of thing of like it's just me doing this which i i always think is really remarkable and also a kind of like a real glee that is almost like a it's childlike and maybe that comes from like superhero oh yeah but it comes through it's like a very childlike Glee. Well, thanks. You know? That's a really nice compliment. I appreciate yeah. that. You know, that, that means a lot to me. Um, yeah. I do think that I, I resonate with the childlike part because I do think there is that part of me that, you know, still is just kind of still that little garrison is still in there raging. Yeah. She's still there. You know, she's still yeah. raging. And it's like freedom, though. It's yeah. like that kind of thing of like when you're yeah. um, building like a, tr- uh, a like a, a blanket fort. Yeah. And like you're in there with like <laughs> flashlights and it's like you feel like really grown up. Yeah. Because you're like in a blanket for it. Like it's yeah. like this. It's your space. Your space. And it's like you're free. Yeah. Um, but that's the, that's the, the nature of the the sound um, to me. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Thank you it's good. for that. It's good. And it's like exci- it's exciting. And it's yeah. kind of tomboy, too. It is. Yeah. I, I'm a, always. Yeah. I've always been a always tomboy, been a tomboy, as you know. Yes. Yeah, I have. And I'm, I'm sorry. Like, that's another thing that like starts to piss me off when I think about it. So I just, just like wish I'd embraced my tomboyness mm. younger. You know, yeah. like I wish that I hadn't it hadn't taken me so long to really just love myself and accept myself. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, Renee, my, my wife, I mean, she's not my wife, but she might, might as well be my wife. Yeah. Renee would say, why are you looking at it like that? Like, why would you why? Why can't you look at it as? Well, thank God you're learning to embrace yourself in your early 40s. Like, how yeah. great is that? You it know, is, but she was great. like, you're always looking for the problem. Oh. And it's like, I don't think I don't think I, I think I do look for the problem, but not like in a negative way. But I'm always looking at the problem because I want to solve the problem. I'm always yeah. trying to find a way to fix the problem. Yeah. Which drives her nuts. But that's just because we're different. But yeah, I'm always trying to like solve the problem. I can't help but yeah. try, you know, well, you know, but I mean, there's nothing really redemptive about thinking about what you could have done 15 years ago because that will never be a possibility mm-hmm. so there's the psycho sadomasochist like yeah thing well and it's just uh, i don't know it's like it's also very practical to oh. look for the problem and look for the yeah. solution yeah yeah you know so that's yeah. not the worst thing either no but i but i'm grateful that i'm grateful that i'm in a place now where i can you know explore my sexuality you know in that way in the way of just being a human being Mm-hmm. Being a sexual human being, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, because again, the way I grew up, it was sexuality was shameful. Right. Your sex, you know, your sexuality was shameful. Mm-hmm. And so now it's, you know, I still sometimes feel ashamed about things and I have to kind of shake my head out. You know, I kind of have to like slap myself out of it and be like, yo, that's not reality. Yeah. You know, you're you're looking backwards. It's okay. Yeah. That's not what we're doing here. Yeah. You know, that's mm-hmm. not where we're at. You're okay. Yeah. Who you are is okay. You're okay. We're mm-hmm. okay. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Gonna be, it's going to be fine. It is. It's like this thing of like um, really uh, embracing all of the things that we are. Yeah. I remember like, yeah, I think we were in the first times I met you probably about Largo, the old Largo. I remember that night. Yeah. Ian was there. Yeah. He brought you out. 
And uh, yeah, we were to like, show, yeah. I think we were talking and then you were like, oh yeah, I'm a Liz. <laughs> it's like, that's just a perfect way to put it. I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm a Liz. Like it's a, I'm great, a, Liz. It's a great way to uh, present that, you yeah. know, because um, we're all Liz. Yeah, we're all Liz. I mean, I can't imagine that everybody's not just a tiny bit Liz. We're all Liz. I mean, certain gay dudes, might, they're not very Liz. Gay dudes don't sometimes get down with the les like some it's of different. them don't yeah it's a little bit different it's different but it's like you know it's it's very like a les way is that it's the right way to be yeah i, I agree I, I totally think the les is the right way to be yeah and then when you said that it really made me think of you and then you all whenever i think of you you're always swinging on like a tire <laughs> like into like a really cool stream oh man like this it's like is, i need to come hang out over here more often <laughs> that's all i'm saying you know like it's yeah. just like a very like a it is a kind of a teenager feeling it's a kind of tomboy thing but yeah. it's also like refreshing water and um you know is that sort of like glee of being adolescent and having all these feelings and it being summer and you're going swimming oh man well thank you that i love that feeling i love <laughs> it's that. nice yeah it's really nice so now the album so you wrote did, did you finish an album that you were trying to put out yeah i did did i not send it to you Mm-mm. i did it like no. we recorded it a year ago so mm-hmm. if i hadn't sent it to you i'll send it yeah to i want to hear it yeah i'll send it to you before i, I leave. love it yeah yeah i'm excited it's called girl i used to be and it's going to come out um next year through this little label in nashville i think called soundly music Mm -hmm. and i'm currently in the middle of another project with a couple songwriters in nashville this guy sean mcconnell Mm -hmm. who's an amazing singer songwriter living in nashville he's had a um he had a song i think with brett eldridge this year called mercy Mm. he had it was in the top 10 i feel like that song went to number one but anyway he's amazing and and uh this guy peter gronwald who is also amazing he's a producer writer in nashville uh, the three of us got set up on a random co-write like a year and a half ago in Nashville for a writer camp. Mm-hmm. We wrote this song called Nothing Without You. I'll send you the CP too. Okay. But we saw, wrote this song called Nothing Without You and it turned out so beautiful that we wrote an EP together and it's going to come out first next oh, great. year. So I'm going to be doing some touring with Sean in January and February to promote uh, my own new stuff and also the stuff we have coming together. So mm-hmm. I think next year is going to be a fun year yeah. with a lot of new music and I'm super pumped about it. That's great. It's a lot of stuff, but I think it's going to be good. That's exciting. Yeah, thanks. So that's what you mean by like writing with other people. That's just a yep, di- different thing. Yep, and, you know, and that's been such a big part of my, it's been such a big part of my life and career over the last, you know, five or six years. Mm-hmm. Like I've really been doubling down on it and, and it's been great. You know, I think, you know, I got to a place and we've talked about this where I was kind of banging my head against the wall with the touring. Like, I think I was trying so hard to stay busy. Mm-hmm. That felt like, you know, you know, the the saying like working smarter, not working harder. Right. I was out there spinning my wheels thinking that because I was out there touring that it was it meant something. Yeah. Meanwhile, my crowd was declining because there was no focus behind the tours I was doing. It was mm-hmm. just like, but I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm still doing it. Like, yeah. I really didn't want to take a break and rethink things. I just didn't want to do that. Yeah. But finally, I had to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. I had to like, I was killing myself and I was really not loving being out there. I was like yeah. hating it. Mm-hmm. And so I pulled back and started working with a manager and he was like, man, we're, I'm just going to start setting you up on sessions. You're just going to start writing songs and that's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So we built a business, you know, based on the songwriting, which has then in turn started to make us money where now I can, I have money to, to, you know, use for my artist stuff, which was yeah. the plan in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, let's see. Okay. Well, we've got, let's see. Yeah. Brett Young. Oh my God. Brett Young, Brett Young, not Brett Eldridge. Yeah, the song's called Mercy, that my friend Sean had this song with Brett Young. Dude, thanks for the double check. That's so like me, just trying to remember all the details of messing them up. Anyway, so yeah, it's going to be fun. That's great. I love it. Well, um, listeners should know that Garrison is the singer and songwriter of the theme song for this podcast. Yeah, coming out of the dark. (laughs) Which is a beautiful, beautiful song. Man, thank you. So great. I was so honored to do that. Yeah. I just was so excited that you asked me. Well, and, of course. You know, the you're best. just so generous always with just like, I was like, I just thought it was funny. I'm like, well, what kind of song do you want it to be? Like a jingle or a song? And you know, your response was, just do your thing. You know, I'm going to like it. Yeah. It's just like, oh my God, like, why are you, you're like an angel human. You're, you're you really an, are. You are an angel human. I mean, it's just, I love, I love the way that you write. I love the way you play and I love the way you sing. So everything well, is... It's always like my favorite, you know, when somebody like when you fall in love with an artist, it's like the everything they do is you just can't wait to hear the yeah, next. Yeah. Well, you that know? really means so much. And I appreciate that so best. much. I appreciate it. I love you so much. I, I love you. 
I love our friendship and how it's yes. developed over time. Yeah. Thank you, Garrison. Thank you so much. Never miss an episode of The Margaret Show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The Margaret Show is an Erio's production with editing by Kat Hong and original music by Garrison Starr. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.